Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today's episode of Housing Wire Daily is all about real estate. My guest is senior mortgage reporter Matt Blake, and we're going to discuss the layoffs at Rex Homes and whether that brokerage can even survive, as well as the first quarter earnings of other brokerages. We'll also talk about the recent NAR Legislative Conference and their priorities, which include increasing inventory and increasing diversity. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get going. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. It's always great to have you on, and we have so much to talk about. Real estate uh, news is going crazy. Yesterday, we had a big story that she reported on layoffs at Rex. I mean, more than just layoffs, almost like maybe closing down the company, I think. So maybe you can give us some insight into um, how you got that story and, and what's going on over there. Yeah. So Rex is Real Estate Exchange Inc. or Rex Homes. And they're a company that Jack Ryan uh, started in 2015 and basically they're unique for or distinctive, I should say, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that they pay agents salaries and the salary is like most of the agents pay as opposed to a commission or a sales bonus. And also um, they're kind of in the news a lot. And people like me write about them a lot because they um, gave information to the U.S. Justice Department, which then uh, investigated the National Association realtors on antitrust grounds and more specifically kind of how homes are posted on the multiple listing service and then accessed by consumers and real estate agents. And they have a big lawsuit in the federal district court in Washington state against Zillow, against the National Association of Realtors dealing with listings and just kind of dealing with can a brokerage, can an agent exist in the United States with, with without kind of doing exactly what the National Association of Realtors says. That's kind of like something that they're contesting legally. But then besides just sort of being like, you know, this organization, you know, working with the Justice Department filing lawsuits, they're also an actual real estate brokerage. And so they, again, had this model where they're paying employees salaries. So that was an expense. Um, Ryan, who uh, ran for U.S. Senate against Barack Obama, actually, a, a couple decades ago, and former Goldman Sachs banker, he was able to raise a lot of money for the company, but then the money kind of ran dry in the last year. And so that brings us up to the present. And what happened was, basically, according to real estate agents there that I spoke with this week, they were unable to raise more venture capital money. And then also they were not, you know, getting their word out uh, sufficiently in the communities that they're working with, that they, you know, have these listings, um, some of which do not appear on the multiple listing service. And so whatever the case was, basically they're kind of dual, um, role as both kind of like, you know, kind of maverick, you know, contrarian, whatever word you want to use, real estate brokerage, and then also actually being a real estate brokerage, I guess, proved too much for them. And so in any case, they did a round of layoffs last October. They did some layoffs in August. Now they've laid off most of the company. 
And it's unclear whether or not they're going to continue as a company. I talked to six different employees yesterday, five of whom are real estate agents there, one of whom was um, an account manager. And they basically said that it's been unclear to them. Uh, Jack Ryan spoke to them over a Zoom call on Friday. There was an email that an employee shared with me showing that their physical offices in Austin, Texas and Woodland Hills, California have shut down. But there has not been an email that it has not been documentation showing how many people have laid off and also showing if the company is terminating itself. I spoke with the Texas uh, state government yesterday, the California state government. They haven't received any notice from Rex. And so it's sort of to be determined whether Rex is going to continue as a business. Um, the latest I can tell you is that Michael Toth, who's been their general counsel and has been kind of the architect of a lot of their philosophy, he emailed me yesterday and he basically spoke about Rex in the past tense, which was basically his message was our legal arguments that you can't survive without like playing ball with the National Association of Realtors turned out to also kind of be the problem with our business model that we were not able uh, to survive by having a different business model. And that business model, again, is paying agents salaries and also trying to do listings that aren't always on the multiple listing service. And so they might try to regroup, they might go out of business soon, but it's it's not looking good for Rex. Yeah, you know, I, I hate to see that. We are seeing layoffs uh, across the industry in mortgage and real estate. Mm-hmm. And it's just sad. It's it's one of the things that we're following is like what business model is going to succeed going forward. And for the from a brokerage perspective, it really is interesting to look at who's disrupting that. And they were one of the people who were trying to disrupt the status quo when it comes to, you know, the MLS. I, it reminds me, okay, this is going to date me, but uh, the way Pearl Jam took on uh, Ticketmaster like yeah. <laughs> decades ago, right? And and ultimately lost, unfortunately, but was really a, a harbinger of kind of the way that uh, music was going to change in that. And I wonder if in the same way, we're going to look back and be like, yeah, they, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with them, but change is definitely afoot. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting analogy because Ticketmaster is owned by Live Nation and Live Nation arguably has a, a similar uh, relationship to live music that the National Association ha- National Association of Realtors has, I should say, um, to real estate in the U.S. where, you know, the Justice Department has investigated it. There have been consent decrees, but basically there's kind of an arrangement where they're allowed to have sort of a de facto monopoly. And then like people can have legitimate arguments on either side, whether the monopoly um, is harmful or prohibits competition or whether the monopoly is, is somehow good for competition or good for the market. But I think regardless, even NAR themselves and even Live Nation themselves would admit they have, you know, something approaching market control. And, and I think that yeah, the Pearl Jam example is interesting. Yeah, also because it sort of came before, I think, like Napster and stuff like that and, and sort of like just different ways that the music industry makes money. And I, and I wonder if we have a crossroads like that right now in real estate. Um, and then the other thing I would just add with the layoffs is that, yeah, like Flavia and like other mortgage folks have been like reporting a lot about layoffs and like that doesn't really happen in real estate because 
the agents are independent contractors. And so they only like get money based on um, like <clears throat> commissions. So there aren't really like layoffs the way they are with employees, but Rex is different in that they actually have employees and show it shows that this one company that has this employee based model doing mass layoffs. Yeah. I think to your point does show like there are a lot of, there's a lot of uncertainty and um, in, in the housing market right now. And it really comes down to just uh, a different volume. So you had uh, a, a really large number of people join the real estate industry um, through the pandemic as people were sort of, you know, reevaluating their lives and looking for different things. It, it's always had a pretty low barrier to entry. So you do have people who, who join it who end up not really making it their career. But even people who've been doing this for a long time might be finding it a challenging market with just the complete lack of inventory going on. But I, I like your point that unlike the mortgage industry, where it's very easy to see kind of where things are, it's sort of a silent leaving. Like if people are leaving the um, real estate industry, like you wouldn't necessarily know that they're not going to have mass layoffs to your point. So um, this is maybe one thing that we can look at. It also speaks to something that the industry has been trying to figure out is like, how, what is the best way to compensate agents and, you know, where does their value come in and what is that, what is that value compensated at? So, you know, the commission splits, the whole thing with um, some of the, uh, the NAR uh, lawsuits and things like that. So it, there's a larger question here too. Yeah, for sure. And I think that what you might see, I mean, there's just a lot of frustration out there from agents. I think last year people were like, I mean, we're in the middle of pandemic last year, but like still, I mean, people were like relatively speaking, like happy with like, their jobs because it was just like, well, sales are like the highest they've been since 2006. But I think at this point, um, unless you can get like listings, if you're like representing a buyer, um, you know, it's been hammered home to me time and time again, that it's a really frustrating market for agents right now, because they have, it's just exhausting. They have to figure out a way to get their client to try to make a cash buy, or they have to like, bid over listing price and they have to like make these kind of ethical and business choices on the fly about do I waive an inspection or not, you know, those kind of things. And so, yeah. And for brokerages, it's really challenging too. Um, the earnings have happened just recently and brokerages aren't doing as well. Like probably, I think I don't follow the stock market too closely, but like most other sectors right now, um, the brokerages are taking a real beating um, in terms of their stock price. So yeah, it's it's a real, again, time of uncertainty and worry for both agents and brokerages. Well, and on top of uh, low inventory, you have rising interest rates, which are going to change the amount um, that of house that someone can afford. So if you are a buyer's agent and you've been showing somebody, you know, someone the, the limited inventory that you have and trying to compete for that, they're affordability might've just gone down, right? With, with interest rates rising so quickly, uh, you're definitely going to see some people on the edges or first time buyers who may just be cut out of the market altogether, but even people who have the means, maybe they're downshifting the kind of home that they can afford now. So there's a, that other added layer of uncertainty because of rates. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I had appreciated that as much until I'd done a bit more reporting about it. I was at the National Association of Realtors Convention last week, and um, there was this presentation that their um, Lawrence Young, their 
longtime chief economist did that was basically like, if you were buying a home last May compared to this May, given the combination of home price appreciation and like the interest rate on a 30 year mortgage going from like 3% to 5%, you're paying about like 50% more for that home. So yeah, I think that, I mean, it seems like, oh, 3% to 5%, like, is that that big of a deal? I mean, it it really is. And, and it kind of makes home buying unaffordable for a swath of people that maybe it was last year or, or at the start of the pandemic. You know, even three years ago, so before the pandemic, before things had heated up so much, a discussion that um, I had with my kids and other people talking about is now a good time to buy a house. Is that if if you're trying to save at a certain rate and the market is going up faster than your savings rate, um, you're really not doing yourself any favors by waiting, right? If it, yeah. and that's that's assuming you have the um, you have the means, but like it's it's a perfect storm right now. So if you are a renter, your rent has gone up significantly. Yeah, the cost of the house, to your point, the home price appreciation has outrun anything. I would think that anybody could really be saving for as far as their, if you're like, okay, I need to get to this amount to be able to get into this house. Well, we saw over 20% appreciation, I think was the median. And in many places, much more than that over the last year. Right. Yeah. Uh, but double digits Absolutely. everywhere. So like, how do you out, outrun that? And then you put mortgage rates on top of it. So it's a challenging environment. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about the NAR conference that you went to? That's their legislative conference, right? Where they sort yeah. of outline what their priorities are. So from their perspective, what did they want, you know, Washington, what's the message they're trying to get out? Yeah. So there were three different things that they stated that they wanted from Congress and from federal agencies in Washington. The first is action on inventory. They, this was hammered home again and again and again. The gap between the supply of homes and the demand for homes is the highest it's been ever. You know, you can have like a debate as to whether that's true, but it's definitely like in in the range. I mean, there's a shortfall depending on the report you read or the expert you talk to, like four million, five million homes in the country between like the demand for home ownership and the supply for home ownership. So they want more homes. How can they get more homes? They discussed a few different tax credit and grant measures that have kind of stalled on Congress. I actually found these measures to be a little more kind of innovative or at least novel than maybe I had anticipated. Like one of them deals with just sort of converting malls, underutilized or shuttered malls into single family housing or multifamily housing. Uh, that seems like a good idea as an observer of shuttered malls across the country. And another idea, you know, which intuitively makes some sense is is converting underutilized office space into homes. I mean, in places like Chicago, where I am, Los Angeles, you know, there are a lot of, you know, people that, you know, including myself, that just like stopped working from an office two years ago and and now some of those 10, 15 year leases on office buildings are like running out. And so, I mean, it just intuitively makes sense that you would convert some of that existing infrastructure into homes. Uh, unfortunately, you know, for the National Association of Realtors, those things have just totally stalled. And so 
basically plan B is to sort of like work with housing and urban development and then work on the state level and in terms of getting like tax cut credits, grants in order to do more home building and also just sort of lobbying local governments to like not oppose new home building. There was a moment, I wrote about this for Real Trends, there was a moment on Friday where they basically like asked the audience at this convention, like, what is the biggest obstacle to like the lack of inventory? And they basically said like restrictive zoning and lack of construction. So they see it as an issue where local and county zoning laws are preventing like the construction that would like satiate the demand um, for, for at least satiate some of the demand for homes. So, so that's the big issue is inventory. Another issue is diversity. Um, and, and when I say diversity, I mean both like ensuring that there are like more, non-white real estate agents like black hispanic asian real estate agents and then also like ensuring that like the home ownership rate between white homeowners and non-white homeowners you know something is done with that i think like we've done a good job at housing wire of like reporting in the past year of just sort of like the crazy gap between the black and white home ownership rate and and how it's like as bad, you know, as as big of a gap, I should say, as it was like in the 1960s. And so how do you do that? It's not clear. I think, I mean, they passed a thing saying that they, you know, support um, kind of more liberal lending policies, lowering like credit score thresholds. But I think that sort of channeling that desire in, in into kind of policymaking is a bit hard, especially with a gridlock Congress. And then one thing I would add on diversity is that, you know, these lawsuits that we talk about, these antitrust lawsuits, one thing that NAR says is that the way that they have things structured where the home seller pays the entire commission and the home buyer pays none of the commission, they were... Uh, saying this again and again and again to me at this conference and in the last couple of weeks, saying that this buyer-broker commission arrangement helps encourage minority homeownership because the argument that they're making is that the home buyer is paying absolutely no commission and so they don't have to pay to work with a real estate agent and this therefore lowers the barrier for people who might sort of kind of be on the precipice of wondering like whether or not they can afford um, to become a home buyer. So that's an argument they're making. And then the final thing they wanted from Washington is just sort of like to have more, to have kind of like more of their research cited, which is kind of interesting to have their research kind of be like official um, kind of research about like authoritative research about like the housing economy. So that, I mean, that's, that's kind of their agenda. And I think that it's hard for them right now to, I mean, they're a very powerful organization. When I, when I say powerful, just in the sense of the, you know, the control and that they exert over the real estate economy, but also just sort of, they spend a lot on lobbying like other, you know, big trade groups do. But I think they feel a frustration that, especially with that big infrastructure bill, the build back better bill, like fizzling, they kind of feel I think like a lot of people right now, pretty stymied in in Washington. That makes total sense. You know, the potential for realtors to make a big difference 
is huge because they are yeah. they're distributed in every community. They're usually very tied into the community. They, you know, they're the ones who are doing the soccer teams. They're on, they might be going to city council yep. meetings. They might know all those people. They have more ties than many other kind of trade groups that you think of for a community. So in that way, you think, wow, is there a better force that's distributed across the country to do that sort of local, you know, lobbying or, or making change at that level than realtors? And I, I really can't think of one that's sort of united about this is what we want, say, more inventory. So really interesting that you went to the conference and you can see the potential there on the, on the inventory side, what they found for the, you know, converting either malls or office spaces. It's, it's so daunting. I, you know, to me, I'm just like, Oh, there's a thing, just make it apartments. But the, the regulations, the safety, the design, it's, it's so different. I follow a bunch of people on, on Twitter who like, this is their thing. And just the discussion there, I had no idea how, difficult it would be and how expensive it is in some ways you know you just you think about the malls what if they just you know like bulldoze the mall and use the land because there's to retrofit it uh under current zoning or safety laws or even place where people want to live is pretty daunting so i can understand why nar is you know thinking that that has to be sort of a uh, a national thing or also the the zoning things because under current under current standards, there's no way it makes sense for most builders or most people, developers to go in there and make those changes in, in office space, especially probably because of the way that, you know, all the regulations around what is a bedroom and safety egress. And it's just not, it's not set up that way. I'm looking at our office. I was like, how would that even work? (laughs) So it's unfortunate. And it's one of the, you know, byproducts of not having that sort of infill housing you know, we didn't do a good job of, of doing that over the last 30, 40 years. And so now we're, we're really seeing the effects of that. But, you know, great to think about. I, on the diversity side, um, I think that's a really good point about the buyers, uh, buyer's agent and what that looks like. Again, it goes to the, everything that the agent, the industry is really grappling with, which is how do agents get paid in a way that is, you know, uh, it's good use of their time because they're doing this work and valuable work, but also that, that really doesn't disadvantage certain people that doesn't, you know, how does this all work together? And, you know, as a seller, I've sold two homes now. I'm in the process of selling my second home in the pandemic and I bought one. It's painful on the selling side, but you can understand exactly what you said, that that's one of the, you know, things that you offer buyers is that they don't have that barrier to entry at least. Yeah, that's what I would argue. Yeah, I think that's really interesting about like, yeah, the malls and just sort of, I think that I, I really understand Nar's point on this, that it kind of has to be, you kind of have to have a national vision on this kind of stuff. Because like, if you're a developer, developers are sort of like, often like painted as sort of like cartoonish villains, you know, they're going to like bulldoze the softball field and, and put up condos and, and stuff like that. But I think that, you know, the reality is in, in a lot of you know, places where people want to live because there are jobs at those places is that, you know, it's, it's almost impossible in some cases to like build on like empty land, much less convert, you know, something that might be zoned commercial or industrial and into residential. And, and you can't, you, I mean, yeah, I mean, real estate agents, you know, are involved in their community and can sort of nudge 
specific projects along, but I think at some point, you know, to address probably the inventory shortage, there needs to be at least some broader policy, you'd think. I I feel like this is a, a conversation, you know, we've talked about how California as a state passed some laws that really made like, for instance, accessory dwelling units um, possible mm-hmm. in the state. And so because there was just no way to do it county by county, you know, little, little parcel by little parcel, um, it's still been hard. I mean, it's not like, oh, okay, then that's easy now. There are still hurdles. Um, so you think about how easy that is. Like that's low hanging fruit in some ways. Like somebody has the land available. The person already owns that land. They just want to put something else on that land. That's like the lowest hanging fruit to me. You're, you're not, yeah. and it's still been difficult and it's still not national and it's, it still presents some problems, but you know, at, at the end of the day, if you make something too hard, people aren't going to do it, right? They have to make money. They're not in this, you know, no one's in this business for charity work. So a developer is not going to, yeah. you know, I'm going to have to spend five years of my life. And at the end, I'm going to get voted down by some city council or whatever, you know, NIMBY people, um, so I, I do think there has to be sort of a, a national reckoning about what is it that we want to do with housing and, you know, what are we willing to change to get there? For sure. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned California because I think they're kind of the first state to really make statewide zoning decisions with the accessory dwelling units. I know that they've tried and failed a couple times to have a statewide policy about like having like overruling zoning laws by building more densely by public transit but like they're kind of the first yeah when i when i did the, my 3d printing story I, I asked about you know kind of zoning restrictions with with 3d printed homes and uh, an expert i talked to too uh, who used to work at the federal reserve he basically said yeah other than california there hasn't been you know statewide efforts much less nationwide efforts to deal with these issues and one of the really big issues that that comes into play is anytime with housing, if you have uh, a certain number of um, parking spots that have to be, you know, that are dictated with like, okay, this many people or this many bedrooms means this many yeah. parking lots. It, yeah. it makes it hugely, it's hugely problematic at the same time. So, so I'm mixed on this. I see that. I see that that holds back a lot of development projects. I particularly live in a place that if I did not have a car, there is no way that I, I literally couldn't even go to the grocery store. <laughs> I do not live in a walkable area. I live in an yeah. exurb and, yeah. you know, it used to be a cow pasture. So like I need my car, but I totally also get the fact that that limits what you can do in city limits. It's one of the biggest limiters is if you, if you say, you know, every, um, every bedroom has to have two, two car parking spots. You know, you've really just, you've really cut down on exactly what could be built there and how profitable it can be for the person building it. Um, so there, there's larger issues here, but I agree with you that like, I think we're going to have to take it on, on a national or a state level. And the tragedy is right now, I think on almost everything is how do you get something? How do you get consensus on something at that uh, national level? So I feel the NARS pain on that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to know how to effectively lobby on the federal level right now. We have lots of gridlock. Well, Matt, um, tell us what else um, is coming up. You're always working on several things. So uh, what can we look forward to in the next week? Yeah, sure. So um, my colleague, Brooklyn Han, and I have been working on real estate earnings calls the last couple of weeks, which, you know, can provide a barometer in terms of some of the big picture issues that we've been discussing. 
And Compass is coming out with their earnings. Uh, like a lot of other companies, like I said earlier, they've kind of had something of a setback in, in terms of their in, in terms of their stock price in, in the last couple of months. I should point out that, you know, Open Door, which is a company that, you know, I think I came on this podcast and was pretty critical of, they actually posted a profitable quarter. Uh, in the first quarter with with their iBuying business model. And so I'm interested to see if Compass turns things around. They are like Open Door, a company that kind of gained traction through venture capital financing from uh, the Japanese company SoftBank. So see about that. And then also doing um, a feature story kind of, I had some good discussions with Ron Phipps, the former president of NAR last week. And kind of looking at like how NAR views what has happened recently with antitrust actions and then kind of how it affects, you know, their membership, what agents feel about this, what brokerages feel about this, how this affects the day to day. And also like how the stakeholders that they talk to, legislative staffers, federal agency members, state staffers, state legislative staffers, how they feel about the National Association of Realtors right now. But there is a ton going on right now, uh, both in terms of like sort of federal issues around housing and, and then also I think just kind of the large scale concerns that a lot of people are expressing now in the country about like inflation and, you know, like is the economy in a downswing? That's definitely like being felt very acutely in real estate and there's just apprehension right now about kind of where the market is going next. Well, we'll be looking forward to that reporting and, and, you know, hopefully giving our audience the information they need when we are in this sort of market. It's, it's challenging. It's not, it has a different sort of challenge than the last two years, which, you know, some, some of that was like, people couldn't even take off, you know, for vacation. People were, you know, so burdened by work, but now it's like, you know, that's a good problem to have too. So we'll look forward to your reporting. Thank you so much for being on Matt as always. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sarah. It was good to talk. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.